a young man decides to become a monk, and so he enters the strictest monastery he can find. Not only are there vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, stability, but also silence. In this monastery, there's almost absolute silence. You can say only two words per year, and that's when you have your annual meeting with the abbot. So a young man comes after one year in the community, and the abbot asks him what his two words are, and he says, food bad. <laughs> he comes back the second year, bed hard. He comes back the third year and says, I quit. The abbot says, no wonder you've done nothing but complain since you got here. But here's, here's what I wondered. If you had to summarize right now the circumstances that are troubling to you and do it in two words, what would they be? Would you say, I don't know, health struggling, money tight, marriage flat, feeling lonely, roommate annoying, under pressure, what would you say? Well, any of those things and anything that you might have in mind all come from something we lack, some area of scarcity. Like every one of us has some area where we feel like, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough good friends. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough health or my loved ones don't whatever it may be. There's something you wish you had, but you don't. There's something you wish you could do, but you can't. Where in your own life do you feel that, that sense of, I just don't have it. I don't have enough. How are you dealing with that lack, if you don't mind my asking? I mean, how are you feeling trapped? Are you feeling kind of angry about it? Are you blaming? Are you sorry for yourself? Well, these all are our natural responses <laughs> when, when we feel lacking of something. They just come easily to us. We don't have to learn them. What we have to learn and what does not come naturally to us is this, finding contentment even when we don't have enough. There is a secret to being content. Some people know it. Some people don't. I have good news for you. We can know it. We can learn it. You and I can learn how to be more content and find contentment even in that place where it doesn't make perfect sense that we would have that. And I really hope this, this message helps you in your particular area of scarcity. As I was praying tonight, I had a special prayer for those of you who are feeling it financially. Um, that's one way of feeling scarcity. Just that God would speak to you if you are feeling anxious, you're feeling resentful about it all, you're wondering why it has to be so hard. And so tonight, we're all going to learn from a person who did not know how to be content with little. He had never learned it. He had to go learn it. And that person is Paul, the church planter, who wrote 
many of the letters in our New Testament. And the reason he had to learn it and why he didn't know it is because growing up, he kind of didn't have to. Paul's life starts out great. He, he grows up as a Roman citizen, which is a very privileged status, and not available to most Jews, which his family is. So he's already an elite. And then he's living in a major city. Um, like Mark Antony met up with Cleopatra, his lover there once. I mean, this was an important historic city. And just like it does today, wealth concentrates in the cities. And then he had the time and the money to get the best education. In his teens, he was sent off to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, the grandson of the famous Rabbi Hillel, who sat on the Jewish High Council of the Sanhedrin. It was the elite education for a man of his day. So Paul's life, starting out, is money, privilege, education, respect, opportunity. He lacks for nothing. He's on his way up. And then, at age 29, which turns out to be the exact midpoint of his life, Jesus Christ literally knocks him off his horse. And Paul spends the second half of his life in the exact opposite situations of everything he grew up knowing. In his own words, we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We have no home. He's talking about himself and some of the other traveling preachers like him. So Paul gets cold. In one of his letters, he goes, please tell somebody to bring me my jacket. Like, it's cold here. He doesn't have his own place to live, and if all those lacks aren't enough, he, he rarely gets justice. Um... He says in one place, we've been beaten, which is like a massive understatement. He's actually beaten with a whip 39 times, and that happens five different times. So if you're doing the math here, 195 welts are on this man's body. It hurts every time he rolls over in bed. There's a reason why he takes with him on his trips his friend and doctor, Luke. Luke's job is to patch him together. And Paul adds, we've been put in prison. We've endured sleepless nights. We've gone without food. Now notice the connection between put in prison and gone without food. In the Roman penal system, they don't supply three squares a day to the convicts. You have to figure out how you get your own food. So I, since you can't work, I hope you have some friends you can call on. So knowing all this, Christians back in a church in Philippi, a church that Paul had actually started 10 years ago, took up a collection for Paul, and they sent it with one of their members, a guy named Epaphroditus, and Paul's now gotten their collection, their donation, which he really appreciates, and so he sits down in jail to write them a big thank you. Philippians 4 and verse 10. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again, because they've helped him a few times over the years, I know you've always been concerned for me, but more recently, you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, notice what he says next. Not that I was ever in need. This is the guy who just said, 
we go hungry, thirsty, we don't get enough sleep, we don't have a home. He says, I wasn't ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, I get a lot of fundraising letters. You all probably do too. And I've worked in a development department. And I know if you really want to raise funds, you have to create a sense of emergency. Urgency. If you don't act right now, something terrible is going to happen. And Paul does the opposite. In verses 10 and 11, he says, in effect, I'm really, really thankful. But I want you to know right out of the gate, I'm not saying that to fish for more money because I was never really in need. And that's because I've learned something. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, notice those words. I have learned. Paul says it two times. He repeats it because it's so important. Verse 11, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And so now I know how to live without almost nothing or with everything. He says it again. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Growing up, Paul never had to wonder where his next meal was coming from, but now he has times where his stomach is empty, it is growling, and he doesn't have food, and there's not going to be a meal right then. And his blood sugar drops, and he feels woozy and tired, and there's just no food, but he says, don't worry about me, because I've learned. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I've learned the secret. Now, in Paul's day, like our own, everybody's got recommendations for how you deal with not enough. Now, today, we have YouTube videos where there are, like, money-saving life hacks or, you know, uh, get-rich-quickly kind of thing. Um, if you join their program and buy their stuff. Uh, in Paul's day, what they had instead with, with pre-YouTube was stoic philosophers wearing togas, standing in marble halls, and their answer to how to handle scarcity is this. When the toughness, when the going gets tough, you get tougher. It's the kind of mer uh, uh, message we get now in a lot of sports-related stuff. So Nike says, just do it. And Monster Energy drinks says, release the beast within. Uh, T-shirts tell us, pain is temporary. Championships are forever. Friend, you know, and, and friends tell us, you've got this. You've got the strength within. And Paul says, actually, that's not how I do it. I don't do it that way. Here's how I do it. Here's the secret I've learned, verse 13. I can do everything through Christ, who gives me strength. Through Christ. The strength comes from him, not me. It's Jesus Christ inside me who gives me the strength to bear with what I need to bear, to accept what I lack, to find contentment when I don't have all that I would like. I so wish Paul would have, told, would have told us how he learned that. But we know that after age 29, he wasn't in the classroom. He was learning this in real-life situations, and mostly ones where he didn't have enough. 
And somewhere in those situations, he learned, oh, Jesus is actually enough. I didn't know that. But when I got pushed, when I got put in this situation, I discovered it. One time he gets thrown in jail with his buddy Silas, and they put, him in, they put them in stocks, these painful, immovable blocks for your feet, and chains, and they stick him in the dungeon. And Paul's there, and I'm thinking, what are his options? He could plot, how do I take it out on the officials who beat me with no trial, even though I'm a Roman citizen, and that was totally illegal? and plot how he's going to deal with them and get back at them. Or he could bitterly complain to Silas. Can you believe? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Or maybe Paul, I don't know how much humor Paul had, but maybe he would crack jokes. This is the tiniest hotel room I've ever seen. <laughs> but here's what he chooses to do. The Bible tells us around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In his scarcity, Paul makes a choice. He chooses, I will find strength in Christ. And what he discovers is, he will help me handle even this. Contentment, apparently, involves a choice. A choice we learn in our own limited situations. A choice that you and I have to make. And sometimes we have to remake it. And sometimes it's hourly. The way I experience that choice, uh, I'd say that I have to choose the whisper over the shout. Choose the whisper over the shout. Here's what I mean. When you or I are in need, feeling the lack of something, feeling the impressing need of something, our situation is shouting at us. There's not enough. It's never going to work out. You should have planned better. I don't know where God is. Oh, that's what's shouting at us. But inside, Christ is whispering to you. And if you listen to that whisper, he's saying things like, nothing can separate you from my love. He's saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And it's right then, friends, that we get to choose. We, we, we choose, will I believe that whisper? Or will I do what everyone else is around me is doing and give in to the shout? C.S. Lewis is on to this dynamic when he says this. He says, all your wishes and hopes for the day, and I would add, and all your needs and fears for the day, rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. And get this, listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Where do you feel I just don't have enough? Where's your situation shouting at you? I wonder what would happen if you made a choice 
that when it's shouting at you, you will choose to listen to the whisper of Christ. When our kids were little, I woke up once at 4.15 in the morning and I couldn't sleep. My mind was racing. And what I was so scared about was our station wagon dying. We had an old Ford Taurus wagon and it was starting to rust out and it was starting to break down. And I got up and paced the floor trying to figure out when, not if, that goes, how the heck are we going to get another? A car, transportation. I kept thinking, well, let's see, we could sell off the furniture. The furniture's worth nothing. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't really praying. I was just going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And about five o'clock, by now the sky was getting a little gray in the east, and I stood at the front door, and I looked out into the driveway at that car. And it was like the icon of my anxiety. And I had a thought, it's going to be okay, trust me. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like me. It sounds like the Lord. I'm going to take that as from the Lord. And after I did that, then I remembered, you know what? I didn't know how I was going to get to Taurus either. I had no idea. Back before the white Taurus, I had an old blue Ford Fairmont, which a friend, as a mercy, sold to me for a dollar, but I think he felt guilty for charging me that much. The exhaust fumes constantly came into the cabin of the car, so even in the winter, you had to have the windows down about that much. Um, The car would conk out whenever it got below about five miles an hour. So as you approached a light, you would drop down into neutral, rev the engine to keep it going, and then when the light changed, drop it down back into drive. So it was exciting to drive. (laughs) Then the neighbor kid picked up a chunk of gravel out of our driveway, and cracked the windshield. But you know what? That car got me where I needed to go. I called it the blue blessing. (laughs) And finally, when I had to sell the blue blessing to the scrapyard, penny a pound, I walked away with $36. (laughs) God had provided, in surprising ways, this Taurus, which was way better. And the whisper of Christ was telling me, Kev, it's going to be okay, trust me. And indeed, when the Taurus went to the great junkyard in the sky, God provided our need for transportation in a way that was utterly surprising to us both. But sometimes, friends, the lack stays around, right? Not everything in life gets answered. And sometimes, like Paul, the reason you're lacking something is because actually you've been trying to follow God. That's part, that's part of the reason, right? And, and here's what can happen, though, over time, is we can finally get to that place where we go, you know what? Even this sacrifice is worth it for you, Jesus. And right then, there's such a sense of intimacy and sweetness with Jesus Christ. Because your love for him has cost you something. Paul had such an intriguing life. Like his life 
starts here, and it just keeps getting higher and higher and higher, and then at 29, it goes lower, 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 and lower until he's in prison at the end and killed. But you know what? Paul doesn't view it that way. Paul actually flips the whole thing like this, and he says, when I was climbing the ladder, I was actually climbing a ladder down into a hole. None of that means anything. And now I got Jesus. And at the end of his life, when he should be down in the bottom, he's saying, for me to live is Christ. For, so death, bring it on. I get more of Jesus. Oh, friends, contentment through Christ is one of the great treasures of the Christian life. What is that place in your life where you're just feeling, I don't have enough? Well, here are some ways we Christians sometimes try to deal with discontentment. See if any of these ring familiar to you. One, we feel guilty or bad because we're a Christian and we don't feel content with our situation and we know we really should. If you have tried that, I'm guessing you have discovered not super helpful. It doesn't change the situation, but also it's not really true. Like, what what is true is the fact that, of course, we're not happy with our situation. It's not a happy situation. (laughs) Paul doesn't apologize for saying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I don't have enough, I don't have a home. He doesn't apologize for asking people to pray that he'll get released from jail. No, what he does is this. In his hard situation, in it, he asks Christ, give me strength. He still doesn't like his situation, but he loves Jesus Christ. And he finds in him enough to meet the need of that moment in that hour. Or we do this mental thing where we find somebody who's got it even worse than we do, and we go, at least I'm not that bad off, right? Well, if that helps, that helps for about five seconds. Paul doesn't say things like, well, the Apostle James got his head beat you know, cut off, and I'm still here in jail alive, so I guess I'm doing okay. That's not how he gets his contentment. He says, for me to live is Christ. That's where I I make it. Or we, you know, we try to count our blessings. Counting blessings is a good thing, but ultimately, you're going to have something that it's very hard to count as a blessing, but what you can find is, I can do this through Christ who gives me the strength. I'm here to tell you tonight, friends, whatever your particular situation and need, there is no situation, there is no circumstance, there is no scarcity in which Christ's strength cannot supply you the grace to bear with it, to move through it, and to actually be a puzzlement to other people because you are bearing it in an astonishing way. And it's not you. It's Jesus Christ in you. This is a precious secret. And oh, that we would all move even closer to Jesus Christ so we can say it with Paul. I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. I've learned the secret. Amen.